0: I'd rather not be known as the vice president's lesbian daughter. But if you're going to run, I think the country would be lucky to have you. I want to do whatever I can to help out on the campaign, and you'd better win. Dad explained that it was far from a done deal. The governor had indicated that he wanted to consider him, but Dad hadn't yet agreed. And there was still a very real possibility that the governor would choose someone else. As head of the search committee... My dad's job was to make sure that Governor Bush had all of the information he needed to make that decision. Over the next few days, we had several family discussions about the possibility of dad's running for vice president. My mom was the least enthusiastic about the idea. Life as we all knew it was good, she said. Why take a leap into the great unknown? And what would it mean for her career? Could she continue to sit on any of the corporate boards she was on? Could she keep writing? My sister Liz was wholeheartedly in favor of his running. We joked that she had already started painting Cheney for Veep campaign signs in her backyard. I was somewhere in the middle. I thought Dad would be an excellent vice president and that it would be exciting to be part of a national campaign, but there was no doubt that it would change my life, and I was very happy with the way it was, living quietly in the mountains of Colorado and looking forward to starting business school in the fall. I also had to consider Heather Poe, my partner, and her feelings on the matter. She's a smart, warm, funny, and incredibly private person who rarely enjoys being at the center of attention. Heather and I first met when I was in college. I was on the women's hockey team, and Heather played for one of the other teams in the league, and we started dating about a year after I graduated. In the eight years that we had been together, we had pretty successfully managed to stay out of the spotlight, but that was likely to change if Dad became the vice presidential nominee. We had several long discussions about what it would be like, reporters calling, even staking out our house, political extremists protesting in our neighborhood. We'd lose the anonymity that allowed us to go to the grocery store or snowboarding or whatever we wanted to do without people watching our every move and reporting it to the gossip columns. Heather was not thrilled with the idea of herself and our private life being pushed into the public eye, but she is calm, steady, and generous of spirit. It's not my first choice, she said but I love you, and we'll figure out a way to deal with whatever happens next. While the rest of the family was busy debating whether we thought Dad should run, he continued trying to find the best possible vice presidential candidate for Governor Bush. On July 3rd, two days after we returned from South America, Dad flew down to the Governor's ranch in Crawford, Texas, for the last major review of potential running mates. After they'd gone through the list of candidates, Governor Bush invited my dad out to the back porch of the ranch house. Sitting out there in the stifling Texas summer heat, Governor Bush said, You know, Dick, you're the solution to my problem. Dad agreed to explore what he would have to do in order to be a viable candidate. One crucial step, because of his history of heart disease, was to get a medical checkup. He flew to Washington, D.C., had a stress test, and put his cardiologist in touch with the well-known Texas heart surgeon, Denton Cooley. A few days later, my parents were in Minnesota, where my mom was attending a board meeting, when Dad was called out of a dinner to take a call from Governor Bush. The governor told him that he had talked to Denton Cooley, who said there was no medical reason that would prohibit my dad from running for vice president. This was great news, of course, but my dad said that he wanted to be sure that the governor had fully considered the downside of choosing him. He wanted the opportunity to lay out the case against himself as the nominee. The next weekend, Dad flew to Austin to meet with Governor Bush, Karen Hughes, and Karl Rove. Dad spoke in very direct terms about his health, saying that if he experienced chest pain, he had to go to the hospital immediately, and that this was not likely to have positive political benefits during a presidential campaign. He also spoke about his conservative voting record and the fact that he and the governor were both residents of Texas and had been involved in the oil business. Knowing my dad, I'm sure he didn't hold anything back as he laid out the disadvantages of selecting him as the nominee. He can be totally candid, even when it's not in his own interest to do so, a trait that makes him pretty unusual in politics. The meeting ended with no decision. At that point, there was still one other candidate under serious consideration, John Danforth of Missouri, a well-respected senator from a key battleground state. In mid-July, my dad arranged for Senator Danforth and his wife to meet with the governor in Chicago. He accompanied the Danforths to the Hyatt Hotel off Michigan Avenue where Governor Bush was staying, then left the three of them while they discussed the senator's possible candidacy. But as time went on, it looked increasingly as though Dad was going to be the governor's choice. There remained, however, one major obstacle to his joining the ticket, his Texas residency. According to the Twelfth Amendment, the state's electors are prohibited from casting their votes for both a presidential and a vice presidential candidate from that same state. If my dad was going to be the nominee, he would have to reestablish his residency in Wyoming, where he'd grown up, lived for over 40 years, and been the congressman for a decade, or he would risk losing the Texas electoral votes. On July 21st, the last possible day to register to vote in the Wyoming primary, he flew from Dallas to Jackson, Wyoming, where he and my mom had a home, and registered to vote. Then he dropped by the Department of Motor Vehicles and obtained a Wyoming driver's license. These activities did not go unnoticed. It wasn't long before all of the networks and wire services speculated that Dad would be on the ticket. My sister Liz was getting her hair cut at a salon in Georgetown when she received an urgent call from the campaign. Dad hadn't told anyone there what he was going to do, so they were trying to understand the news reports. Liz, you're a lawyer, Joe Alba said so maybe you can explain to me exactly what your dad is doing in Wyoming. Liz, her hair dripping wet, didn't want anyone in the salon to overhear the conversation, so she shut herself into a utility closet and walked Joe Albaugh through the intricacies of the 12th Amendment. By the time Dad landed in Washington, the media had set up a stakeout across the street from the McLean, Virginia townhouse where my parents stayed when they were in the area. With the press ready to pounce, It was hard for them to go outside, and even inside wasn't entirely safe. At one point, the doorbell rang. My mom was coming down the stairs to answer it when she saw Sam Donaldson standing on the front porch, staring in the window. He spotted my mom and started yelling, Lynn! Lynn! It's Sam! Mom changed her mind about answering the door. She ducked back out of sight as quickly as she could. After being under siege by the press corps for a day or so, Dad decided that he had to get out of the house if only to visit the local bookstore. He and my brother-in-law, Phil, devised a plan that was quickly dubbed the Great Escape. Phil would park his car down at the end of the street and wait. Dad and Liz would go to the garage. Dad would get into the car, turn it on, and signal Liz to open the garage door. He would then drive off while Phil blocked the road with his car to keep the press from following. During the planning process, my mom kept saying, this is not a good idea her prediction would prove to be correct. Everything went as planned until Dad signaled Liz to open the garage door. She pushed the button, and he gunned the car into reverse. Unfortunately, he didn't wait for the door to open quite far enough, and he backed into the garage door, denting the car and knocking the door off its tracks. From their vantage point across the street, the press captured the entire incident on tape, and several of the cable networks ran it regularly throughout the day. Dad never did make it to the bookstore. Instead, he, my mom, and Liz returned to Dallas to wait for Governor Bush's decision. I was at home in Colorado. I would have loved to have been with my parents, but if my dad was the nominee, I was going to be working on the campaign. I didn't know exactly what my job would be, but I knew it would keep me on the road until Election Day, and I needed to prepare. I had to change my plans about business school, buy some dark suits, a staple of campaign life, but not something people tend to wear very often in the mountains of Colorado, and I needed to pack. My dad was working out on the treadmill when Governor Bush called and officially asked him to be his running mate. Dad agreed to join the ticket and made arrangements to travel down to Austin for the official announcement. Governor Bush introduced my dad as his running mate at a rally at the University of Texas on July 25th. He said he chose my dad not because of Wyoming's three electoral votes, but because my dad, was fully capable of being president. Vice presidential nominees are usually chosen because they are from a key state or region. They have a large constituency within the party or they've been a runner-up for the presidential nomination. As far as I know, this was the first time a running mate had been chosen for the qualities he could bring to the responsibilities of governing, rather than because of some geographic or demographic appeal he could bring to the ticket. Some of the talking heads on television said that the selection of my dad showed that Governor Bush was so confident of winning that he wasn't worried about trying to broaden his appeal. What it really showed was how seriously he took the job of president of the United States. He was more concerned with selecting someone who could help him govern than he was with choosing the most politically advantageous running mate. As Heather and I watched the announcement on the TV in our living room, our phones started ringing, and we found ourselves inundated by calls from reporters and producers who wanted to interview the gay daughter of the Republican vice presidential nominee. There are well over a 100 calls in the first 24 hours, all of which we let the answering machine pick up.